This light in your eyes that makes him warm. Hello and welcome to episode 126 of section 138. I'm your host, Mark Cauley. As always, I'm joined by Bryson. How are you, Bryson? I'm doing good, Mark. You know, not the greatest series this weekend, but uh, glad you're back as well. Jacob, on the other hand, has got to start eating healthier because of the dentist. So Yeah, he's, uh, he's unavailable this week. So just as I was last week, he's unavailable this week. We brought in David, a new voice to the podcast, friend of the pod, um, that can help fill in for... For Jacob this week. So how are you, Dave? Hey, I'm good. How are you? Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, for sure. And like you mentioned, Bryson, it's not the weekend the Blue Jays wanted to have. They lose two of three to the Astros, which it seems like the two teams that just have the Blue Jays number this year are the Tampa Bay Rays and the Houston Astros. Nothing has gone as planned when facing them. And there's a few other knocks that the Blue Jays took this weekend. Danny Jansen is now day-to-day I would assume probably going to go on the 10-day IL with a right hamstring strain. So not how things, not how we wanted things to go. But the one thing I think all of us want to talk about has nothing to do with the series that actually took place. It's the fact that we've seen these plans from the NHL now to have Canadian teams and American teams play each other and cross the border. And there's been federal approval for the plan. Um, and it does have heavy health restrictions and public health restrictions, but it seems like a step forward and a, a step in the right direction for the Blue Jays to potentially end up playing in Toronto this season. Now, there's still a lot of hoops to jump through along those lines. The Blue Jays have announced today that they're going to keep selling tickets until July 21st. So we know they're going to stay home until at the very least then, and they've expanded capacity to 80% at Salem Field. So I know, Bryson, you've always been on the, the train of, of the Blue Jays playing in Toronto, but, I mean, are you encouraged by these? And I know that your uh, your prediction of July 1st has kind of d- gone down the drain, but you got to be at least a little bit excited by this news, right? Yeah, it's good and bad at the same time. Um, you guys know going back to, I guess, what, spring, I said July 1st is my prediction. And I guess that was kind of still possible until the news today that they're going to be staying in Buffalo through July 21st, as you mentioned. I guess the good news is that they're increasing capacity. So that's also going to be good because the atmosphere so far in Buffalo has obviously been a completely different story from Dunedin. I think everyone can agree with that. So it's been a lot. It feels more like a home game. But of course, it's still not the same. They're not in Toronto yet. Uh, but at the same time with this news, I guess, kind of approving the NHL teams to cross the border in the next round based off of how the playoffs were kind of restructured this season. It gives me a little bit of encouragement. It does. I mean, I feel like by the minute or day by day, it's getting more possible and more likely that they will be back at some point. However, it will it be in August? Will it be in September? Well, those are the only two, I guess, options now. But to me, I wonder what's more likely are they going to be back in august would they be back maybe early september ish either way i think for a possible playoff push if they make it 
uh, it'll be encouraging to see them back home by then. And I think by then you kind of have to have some sort of answer. And I think by then they might be back as well, because also as you're entering September, October, you're getting closer to the start of the next season for the NHL as well. You have to remember that. I believe they're supposed to start like a tentative date for them is October 12th. And you have to imagine by then they're also going to be going back to their old format rather than a Canadian division, how they did it this year. So that gives me encouragement. I do think they will be back at some point. I know we had an over-under probably back in February, March, if it was going to be over under 10 games. I think you got, you and Jacob chose under, I chose over. And I guess for now, I still would choose. I mean, it's now it's borderline because I mean, I still don't know. I, I still, you know, if they come back in August, I still think there's a chance they could be over 10 games. So I'll stick with the over. I might as well stick with it. But yeah, you know, at the same time, as much as it's been disappointing, I do think that you're getting good news that the NHL is at least crossing or allowing cross travel. Because the other thing too is I know uh, for the NHL, it's kind of like a, it's a playoff series. So it'd be one team coming in rather than the Blue Jays coming in and then whoever they're playing on the regular season schedule. But however, once you open this door up, it's opening up the ent- whole whack of scenarios. And that's why it's obviously, it's unfair if that's not the case for the Jays, but you have to look at it and think if you're allowing this, then eventually it's going to come down to the fact that you're going to be allowing baseball teams to cross the border and the Jays to come home. And even in this case, Toronto FC, they're playing right now. They're stuck in Florida. Uh, The Raptors, we know they were in Florida this year too. So you're opening up that possibility. And maybe this is the first step towards it. I know, um, I guess cases are trending in the right direction, I guess, in Ontario and in Canada. Vaccines are starting to come in Canada. So the numbers are looking encouraging now. But you have to imagine we're getting closer to that point. So that's why at the same time, July 1st, my predictions out the window would have been pretty cool for them to come back on Canada Day. But um, I, I'm still getting encouraged day by day that they will be back at some point. It's just a question if they're going to be back in August or if they're going to be back in September. I think that the the border is a, is a big situation because, you know, like the with the teams getting vaccinated, you know, the, there's 85% vaccination rate for most MLB teams, but some teams aren't. So I don't know like how, what the rules would be if vaccinated teams coming into the country, what their plans would be, what the Canadian government uh, rules would be. But uh, like, I know the Jays, they're almost at 85% vaccination rate. You know, they might be allowed in, but there's many, many other teams that they have to play and the visiting team has to play. So just, and to me, it just really depends on if they allow like the visiting teams to come in because the NHL, uh, it's different because there's only one team coming in to, to play the, the Eastern Conference Finals, but with the Jays, there's like there's many teams, so I, I don't know how they I don't know how they view that, but I'm encouraged by, you know, the NHL going forward with the playoffs. But I still think, uh, you know, I'm kind of with Bryson. I, I don't know, like I'm kind of hopeful, but I don't know for sure if we're gonna have fans, enough fans, uh, if we're gonna have uh, if we're gonna allow the Jays in the, in Toronto. But you know, fans, I, I don't think we're allowing fans. I don't know about you guys, but I don't think we're allowing fans at all. Yeah, I don't, I don't really see fans happening. But yeah, like we've talked about it before, but like once all the teams are vaccinated and once the Blue Jays meet that 85% threshold, there's kind of no reason why they shouldn't be let into the country and shouldn't be able to cross the border to play. And the Blue Jays, we know, are going to meet that 85% threshold over the next week or two. We know... I think it's like 19 or 20 teams around baseball have met that threshold, but there's still a few teams here and there that haven't met that threshold. So that's definitely something that plays into the conversation. But I think one of the things, the big things is the fact that you wouldn't have fans in Toronto and you do have fans in Buffalo. And I think the Blue Jays, 
right now, at least, they aren't going to trade what they have in Buffalo with at least, you know, four or 5,000 fans. I think they're at 80% capacity. It's going to be 7,000 or 8,000. Um, they're not going to trade that solid revenue stream, one of the few, you know, in-person revenue streams that they have right now, given that they can't have fans in Toronto. They you know, can't have people at the games elsewhere. So I don't think they're going to trade that in-person revenue stream just to go to Toronto and then at the same time have to be subject to all these different protocols, right? You have to travel on your private jets, get tested before you come. Um, every day when you're in the country, you have to go through a modified um, bubble situation, which I mean, basically means they're going to be locked in the Rogers Center Hotel as far as we understand it. So I don't think they're Right now, I think the reason why the the NHL teams have decided to do this and the NHL has given this go-ahead while the Blue Jays are still trying to stay in Buffalo and still extending their stay in Buffalo until July 21st is just because of these continued obstacles for them that the NHL doesn't really care about, especially because, you know, it's one team for the NHL that has to do this for, what, a week? This would be the Blue Jays having to do this for the remainder of the season. So I think that's one of the biggest uh, hurdles that the Blue Jays have to have to jump in terms of getting to the point of playing in Toronto. Yeah, it, it, you know, for me, step one is allowing people to or allowing the teams to come back. But however, you know, if they're not going to allow anybody at Rogers Center, to me, it doesn't make sense why they would even make the jump. So that's why I do think if they're going to come back, they're going to want fans. And I, I I, personally don't see a problem or see a reason why you can't hold 10,000 people in Rogers Center. I don't. I know it's a whole different, uh, everyone's got a different opinion. And even with the border, um, you know, I feel like right now, like, I, I don't see the hazard for it. I think it comes down to more of the, the optics, the fact that the general public can't cross the border yet freely. I think that's probably what's holding them back now because Dave was even mentioning the vaccination rate. We know the Jays are at 85%. We know other teams are creeping up there. Most teams are at least over half the league is, but it's, it comes down to the optics. It comes down to what's fair, what's not, why can they cross the board, you know, that whole scenario. And I don't know if you guys got a glimpse of what it would look like for the, the, uh, the NHL, but based on what I was seeing, unless I was wrong, but from what I was seeing, I believe the Canadian teams can go as is. It's the American teams that have to kind of live in a modified bubble where you're just obviously stuck at the hotel or not. So that definitely is encouraging, too, for the Blue Jays' perspective. We know the whole kind of situation they had last year with Travis Shaw, who was on the team last year at one point, where he pretty much called out the government or like the, the plans if they were to play in Toronto, how... He would not, or, you know, players wouldn't be all for that and all that. And then a couple of days later, they get denied a federal approval. So we know how the players feel about that, especially people on the Jays. You know, if you're living in a Rogers Center hotel when you have apartments and condos or such, it's just, it's a different scenario for the home team. Obviously, the road team, you're stuck at the hotel anyway. But in this case, you just wouldn't be allowed to roam around the city. But either way, it's just, I feel like, you know, I, I, I'm encouraged by this, as I said earlier, I just, it's a whole, there's still a lot to go. And I know that Mark Shapiro has continues to say that he is in daily dialogue with the government, which I believe, and I really do think they're trying to get something done. But, you know, for me, you have to come back August, well, August, September now, but you got to come back with at least 10,000 people at Rogers Center. So if that's not the case, if that's not an option, then I would probably understand their decision to maybe stay on Buffalo. But either way, it's encouraging to see how, it all maps out for the NHL teams. As I mentioned, the Canadian teams, nothing really changes. So unless I'm wrong by that, but from what I read, I was pretty sure that's the way they're doing it. And then, you know, for American teams or even Canadian teams, when you cross the border, I don't know what the restrictions are there. I don't really think 
you can put any restrictions if you're the Canadian government while you're on U.S. soil. So either way, a lot of pretty much uncertainty still, but this definitely for me is a step in the right direction. I do think, and I, I remain optimistic that something will get done, but uh, please... 10,000 people. There's no reason why you can't. I'm sorry. There's no reason why you can't distance in Rogers Center what can hold, what, up to 60,000 people, really, if you want to, if you wanted to in a full house. Even, I know 50,000 as well, easily, but there's no reason why you can't. Yeah, just the point, like what Bryson said, you know, I'm, I'm with him on the, you know, 10,000 fans in the seats because, you know, uh, we haven't seen a baseball game here in almost two years, so it's been a while. And and also with the with the visiting teams coming into Toronto, I think, I don't think they're going to be happy, like, staying in the uh, Rogers Center Hotel, like, you know, because they, when they go to the U.S. city, they, they roam the city freely and they do whatever they want, like kind of, you know, in Toronto, they wouldn't be able to do that. They would just be able to stay at the Rogers Center Hotel. So I think that's another factor that you have to take in. Yeah. I don't know if the MLBPA would stand in the way of that happening, if they would have a problem with that, but I don't know. We'll see. It's unique though, um, because like the hotel's connected. That's why it makes yeah. sense for a visiting team. You just take the elevator and you're there. That's why. And either way, even if you wanted to roam the city right now, we know how it works. Everything's closed here anyway, but <laughs> I mean, stay at home order. I, know or I guess not anymore. It but, just expired, but I, yeah. I believe there's a reopening thing coming. So either way right now, everything's closed anyway. There's not much to do. And why put yourself at risk? We've had this conversation before at back at the time when we were still uncertain about the Jays last year. But yeah, either way, I, you know, you have to imagine that something good is coming out of this because NHL, you open the door for that down the line. The Raptors and the Jays are going to need an answer as well. And even the Leafs for a regular schedule next year. So it'll all be interesting how that pans out. And I guess how the cases transpire here too. Like I mentioned, we're on the right track by the looks of it and vaccines are available now. So I guess there's no reason not to be optimistic. That's all. That's all I have to say. But it definitely um, it's a sensitive topic for much or some people because a lot of people, even with the NHL plan, I've seen based off social media, not, not a lot of people are even agreeing with that. So you're just dealing with the entire public backlash. And it's all about optics for me because there's no reason why you can't safely cross right now with 20 out of 30 teams or whatever it was at 85% vaccinated. So that's that's where I look at it. And that's what I think it's probably the case right now is just in terms of the public optics of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the optics of it and then the actual, you know, progression in the public health situation, I think are the two other factors that we haven't really talked about. It's like it, if, you know, we know that vaccinations are being open for second dose um, in Ontario, we know that cases are going down a lot. And, you know, even in America, we have you know, people at whatever it is, 55, 60% of people who have gotten at least um, one dose, I think it is. And then the number, of course, with the second dose is going to creep over that in a month or two. So it's, it is encouraging and it's definitely going to change the situation as it progresses. But um, when you guys want to put the over under at for the Blue Jays returning to Toronto, I guess we can just make our predictions because before the season, you're right. Um, Bryson, Jacob and I, I think we both put at zero games played in Toronto but now right. I did. Yes. <laughs> I think it like, it is looking like it's going to shape up a lot better than that. So if I have to make a prediction of when the blue Jays are going to return to Toronto, I'm going to say August 30th. Um, they come back to Toronto for a homestand against Baltimore and then they have an off day and then another three game series against Oakland. I think that's kind of the, the window of time I'm looking at for the blue Jays to return to Toronto. Where would you guys um, place your uh, your prediction of when the the Jays will return. I'm thinking I'm thinking along the lines of you. I think September first. 
So you yeah, can, they're playing in Buffalo until at least July twenty first, and you know plans take a while to kind of formulate. So I think uh, I think September first. Okay, I, I'll I'll be more optimistic. So you guys have the by the looks of it, they're playing a four, three game series against Baltimore. So I guess that's what you're looking at, Mark. August thirtieth, it's when it starts, and it goes into uh, September one, an off day, and then a weekend series against Oakland. I will go August. 20th, I'll say that. The uh, start of a one, two, th- four, five, six, seven game homestand between Detroit for three and then the White Sox for four. I'll be optimistic, especially because right after that, they go to Michigan, they go back to Detroit. It's close. August 20th, the Blue Jays return. I am calling it. Unfortunately, I'm 0 for 1 as July 1 would have been cool. Like I mentioned, that's not the case. It's not fun. But August 20th, Detroit. I'll make the prediction. I'll be more optimistic. It only makes sense because I was the most optimistic one at the start with you and Jacob, Mark. So I will continue to be that person. But I am happy that you guys are now, or at least you, Mark, for sure, That because I know that for sure, is that you guys are finally on the train, that it's po- it's going to look possible at some point this year. And I'm sure Jacob uh, would agree with you on that one as well. Yeah. Well, the situation has changed a lot. And I'm hopeful we'll have to get Jacob's opinion next week. But um, let's talk actually about what happened in this series because of course it was a rough series the Blue Jays took the first one and then Injun Ryu had his uncharacteristically bad outing in game two and game three it didn't go as planned either um let's talk about Danny Jansen because he is like we said day-to-day probably going to go on the 10-day IL what does a Blue Jays catching situation look like we know they have Reese McGuire on the 26-man roster. They can call up Riley Adams, who's already been on the 26-man roster this season, although he hasn't appeared in a game. They have Gabriel Moreno down in Double A. He's, I guess, a long shot, but technically a possibility, especially given how well he's been doing. He's still raking down with the New Hampshire Fisher Cats. So what does the catching situation look like from here? You know, can you just have Reese McGuire and Riley Adams and wait it out until Alejandro Kirk comes off the injured list? Do you have to go out and make a signing of a of a guy like, you know, Caleb Joseph from last year, that type of guy, that kind of veteran who can come in, isn't going to give you the production that you necessarily want, but can bolster the catching situation? Do you call up someone like Juan Gratterall, who I believe is still in AAA for the Blue Jays? Um, what's the solution for them here? How do they bridge the gap until... Alejandro Kirk gets back and until Danny Jansen gets back. Do you guys know like when Alejandro Kirk is coming back? Cause I haven't heard much about that. Yeah. I, I, I don't think we've really gotten updates from his rehab, but it was supposed to be six weeks when he first went on the IL. It got bumped up to the, yeah, yeah it got bumped up to the 60 day IL. So I'm, I think it's like mid July or early July is the date that we had last. Yeah. Cause I was looking at Riley Adams stats yesterday and, uh, he had a 957 OPS in double uh, A, I believe, but you don't want to rush him. And, you know, Reese McGuire, you know, just going through the catchers, you know, Reese McGuire, you know, he's, he's not very good, you know, and Danny Jansen, um, you know, if he has to go on the IL, you know, he's a good defensive catcher. He was tops. I read a stat. He was tops in almost all defensive categories for American league catchers. So that'll definitely be a huge miss for the Jays, but, and also uh, Moreno, um, I don't want to rush him too much because he's only in double A. So, I feel like we have to hold hold that off a bit, and like you said, we can go get a guy like a guy like uh, Caleb Joseph. But you know, I don't know who's out there right now. But maybe like Jonathan Lucroy. I don't know some some guy like that. But hopefully it doesn't because uh, we hopefully it doesn't affect us too much because we haven't gotten a lot of offense from our catchers this year, and 
you know, Danny Jansen was only hitting 157. So it's not like he was bringing a lot on offense, but like I said, he was bringing a lot on defense. So I think it'll be a huge miss. Yeah, I agree. I mean, when you look at it now too, it's just the, uh, all of a sudden the, the catching depth has gotten a little weak by the looks of it. And right now you are right. You have Reese McGuire, I guess, penciled in as your starting catcher. Uh, if Danny Jansen goes on the aisle, it seems like it every day to day injury on the Jays turns into a, <laughs> an IL stint, but as well, if you're diagnosing him with a hamstring strain, even right after the game, you know, that's not exactly the greatest thing. So, I mean, yeah, uh, Dave, you went over Riley Adams's numbers in AAA so far, and, um, it's, he's had a really good year based off of what I've seen through 19 games. Like you said, an OPS well North of 900 and, um, you know, he's getting on base. And we we know too, going back to earlier in the year, how Riley Adams was up for a few days. And I guess at the time they thought Alejandro Kirk wouldn't miss too much time, which makes sense of why he was up because we know Reese McGuire is out of options. And then right after we kind of got more of the or more detail about the Kirk injury, Reese McGuire came up right away. So Reese McGuire is going to be up here for the I guess the immediate future and for a little bit now. It's just it, it looks like it. But Riley Adams has got to be the guy for me. At least you have to start. Uh, give him a chance. It doesn't mean you roll with him the entire way. And for me, it's it's based on what you look at as well in, in the AAA roster, it's either Riley Adams or it's Juan Gratterall. So Ron Gratterall, I believe, was uh, traded for, or the Jays did sign him near the end of the spring. I do remember we mentioned that briefly when we recorded at the time. But those are the two options for me. And with Riley Adams, I think you have to go with him just because we know he's a prospect. He's one of or one of the best catching prospects in the organization as we as we speak. And give him the chance to back up Reese McGuire. He's as well. He's he is a uh, he's a righty, so that gives the I guess the flexibility because McGuire is obviously a lefty. But going back to Danny Jansen as well, it just it was a very fluky injury, from my opinion, just because the play where he was obviously tagged out at third, it was more of a heads up play by Houston because they you know he was advancing to third and then all of a sudden they throw it over to third base and they tag him out so obviously a play that you don't see from every fielder or pretty much any team but Houston's obviously a really good team so that's pretty much what happened he really wasn't doing anything wrong Jansen he maybe he could have been a little bit more aware of it but the slide kind of seemed awkward and right away they showed it or they zoomed in on it after he obviously left the game and he was pretty much grabbing his hamstring right away and he looked in discomfort immediately so you knew right away it wasn't good but for Danny Jansen uh, Dave again you mentioned his stats he just hasn't had the greatest year hitting but defensively he brings a lot more to the table and the one thing I'm going to be curious about now and you know something that I haven't really noticed is that Hunjin Ryu's only pitched to uh, what, what do you call it Danny Jansen in his two years here at least his two seasons here so how's that going to work out how will Hunjin Ryu react because like I mentioned Danny Jansen's been the guy, so he's going to have to either catch from Reese McGuire, Riley Adams, maybe Juan Gratterall. Those are three options now. And, um, you know, it's just, it's it's sad because Jansen just hasn't been good this year whatsoever. And he's shown flashes, just not enough to kind of convince people otherwise. And now you're going to have to rely on Reese McGuire. And then, of course, Riley Adams or uh, Juan Gratterall. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting to see how the pitching staff will shake out. Um I mean, obviously, the obvious solution is just have Reese McGuire catch Hinjin Ryu, but it's going to be interesting to see him with a different catcher because for all the injury talk that we do mention about the Blue Jays, right, it seems like everyone's getting injured. Credit goes to Danny Jansen for not really suffering an injury in his major league career before this point, and especially for a catcher who we know is in there day in and day out. Of course, he's always kind of had that other guy on the roster, whether it's Luke Maley, whether it's Reese McGuire, um, whether it is Caleb Joseph. He has always been, you know, only playing two out of every three games. But credit goes to him for 
being able to get it to this point without having a significant injury. And who knows, maybe this isn't significant. Maybe he will avoid an IL stint. We all know how unlikely that is. It seems like every day-to-day injury is always going on the IL, but yeah, it should be interesting. I think Riley Adams is definitely the guy you go to. For me, it's not even really a question. He's already been on the major league roster. They obviously already think he's ready to play in the majors and make his major league debut and make an impact on the major league roster. So to me, it's a no-brainer that you go to Riley Adams, especially over someone like Juan Graterol. Like Graterol is not part of this team going forward. He's not part of the long-term picture for the Blue Jays. He is kind of just that third option, that last resort that you have to go to in the case of massive injuries like we're seeing with Alondra Kirk, with potentially Danny Jansen. So I think it's Riley Adams 100%. There's no doubt in my mind that they go to him. The other thing too is I don't even know if Juan Gratterall is on the 40-man roster. So, I mean, that's obviously an extra move you have to make if you want to go with Juan Gratterall. But yeah, for me, it seems like Riley Adams is the guy to go to. And I guess depending on the severity of the Jansen injury, maybe you got, then it goes to you got your guys' point. Maybe you look externally. Maybe you do. But right now, it just seems like the, the easiest solution and the solution to at least start is you go to Riley Adams. And we know that, you know, we, he was called up for a few days when the Jays were back in Oakland back, uh, back in April. So, he was here for a few days. He didn't get into a game, unfortunately, but give him a chance. Why not? And, um, you know, we'll see what happens as the Jays are now set to begin probably one of the toughest weeks, at least based on their schedule. Um, I guess when you start with Chicago, New York, Boston, they have a few tough series ahead of them. And you know who is on the 40-man roster? Gabriel Moreno. See, that's so, that's impressive. Who knows? Yeah. You never know, because he's also lighting it up in AA, and you've seen him this year, Mark, in yeah. person. So, yeah, we, we talked about yeah, that. Yeah, he's still hitting... I think it's like 367 that he's still hitting in AAA. And of course, now we're like, for them, a month into the season because they started at the beginning of May. So who knows? Who knows what will happen? Um, In other injury talk, we know that Kevin Biggio has started his rehab assignment in AAA. He's already hit a home run there, which is obviously a good sign. Um, He is someone who does tend to have kind of sneaky power. In 2019, I think he hit 19 or 20 home runs. Um, which is a lot more than any of us expected. Um, another guy who seems to be trending in the right direction is George Springer. We've seen him running the bases on back-to-back days, and he seems to be going at 100% of his ability. So that's a really good sign. Hopefully he's back within the next week or two. With these two guys coming back, this is a question that everyone has been talking about. I don't think we've talked about it yet. We've kind of been avoiding it until the point where he gets back to the majors and to a rehab assignment. But what do you do with the lineup when he's back? Because there's really no one you can move down at this point, right? Marcus Simeon, you can't touch him. Bo Bichette, he's been doing well. Maybe he's the one guy who you can move, but Vladdy, untouchable. Teoscar Hernandez, untouchable. Randall Grishik, we know he is asked specifically to hit in the fifth spot behind Teoscar Hernandez. So in my view, you can't move him. So to me, it's like George Springer hitting six. Like that doesn't make sense, but that's a, the easiest solution right now. So how do you formulate the lineup? Who do you move down? How do you shake the, shake things out to make sure George Springer has room in this lineup at the top of the lineup and Kevin Biggio has room at the bottom of the lineup? I think you can move Springer to the leadoff spot but move Semyon to number two. Or you can keep Semyon in the leadoff spot and move Springer to second and then Bo to sixth. Because Bo Bichette... And then Vladdy and Teoscar and Randall Gritchick, like it normally is. But I, I don't think Bobichet's an ideal two-hitter because 
He only has a three on three three hundred and eight on base percentage, and he tends to swing a lot, and that's not what you want in the two hole. So I think you can put Semyon in the two hole, or you can move Springer to the two hole, and then just put one of them at the leadoff spot because they're, they're, they're both high on base guys, and I think that would be pretty a pretty uh, good tandem at the top of the order, especially especially with Vladdy and then uh, Teoscar. So that would be like probably one of the best one to four hitters in the MLB at that point. So I think you can do that. And then Bo in the fifth spot, I think that he would be better down there. Yeah, I'm with you. I think, you know, as much as Marcus Simeon's been hot, we know the month he's had an OPS over a thousand AL player of the month for May. I think you got, I just, I don't see any other way. I think you have to bring back George Springer to the leadoff spot. I really do. And then uh, going to your point, Dave, too, I can see where maybe you move down Bichette a few spots and then you keep Simeon or sorry, Simeon at two. I do think you keep Simeon at the top of the order though, but we know, you know, we've seen him at six this year as well, because we know how he had a slow start and the Jays moved him down. And of course that's kind of where he found his game in the six spot. So I can see both scenarios, but I for sure see him moving down and it's just a little bit of a risk because we know how hot he's been and you don't, you don't want to touch him. But it's hard to imagine, Mark, even when you introduce it, seeing uh, George Springer hit sixth. So that's the other problem. It's a tough situation. But with Bo Bichette as well, maybe moving him down helps him a bit. Uh, Dave, you were mentioning that he's just swinging at pretty much everything this year, and I think you guys can agree. He's just, at times, he's been very streaky. And his strikeout rate, too, is at the highest it's ever been, uh, going back to his rookie year in 2019. It's at 25.5% this year, and that's up almost 5% from last year. So he's swinging a lot more. He's not... You know, he's been more, he's been streaky, as I mentioned, but he's, and his average is obviously lower, and usually his average is pretty high. It's around 300. This year it's at 260, but his on base percentage isn't as high as well. I don't know, you know, I, I know he's playing well. I just, there's been times this year where I've been frustrated watching Bichette. I don't know what's going on. I just, I, I'd like to see him be more of a contact singles hitter rather than trying to hit a home run every at bat. I just, I get a, you know, I just get me a little annoyed sometimes. But either way, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. stays untouchable at the three spot. I agree uh, with you guys on that. I think George Springer goes to the leadoff spot. And then I think with that, Semyon moves down a few spots. And maybe that impacts Bichette. And maybe we'll, we, we will be seeing Springer soon. Because I don't know if you guys saw. But back on June 5th, which was uh, Saturday, there was a gif of Springer in the dugout. And pretty much you can catch him mouthing off to somebody five more days. So five more days until he's back. Five more days until he's on a rehab assignment. Either way. It seems like we're getting close. So hopefully next week, next two weeks, by mid, mid-June, mid we do see George Springer back for sure by the end of the month. It's good news. And we mentioned, too, Kevin Biggio's on a rehab assignment, too. He homered yesterday in his first at-bat uh, for uh, Trenton slash Buffalo. So it's optimis- It's getting optimistic for the injuries. Still ha- we aren't getting there, I guess, with the pitchers. We're still dealing with that. But either way, it's good to see that George Springer is eventually going to be coming back. And hopefully... Either way, whatever you do with the lineup, hopefully he stays because we know he wasn't kind of, he wasn't very, he wasn't ready. He wasn't ready. He rushed it a little bit, four games, he kind of rushed it and um, he re-aggravated and that's why he's obviously back in the aisle now. So hopefully he's 100% this time and uh, for the lineup, I do see him going back to that leadoff spot though as much as you could have a different opinion, Mark, but either way, a lot of the guys are staying where they were, but Simeon and Bichette, they might have to be, they're, they're going to be the two people impacted if Springer is back. I say put him one or two, preferably two, I think. I think Marcus Simeon, I just can't mess with him. I mean, like, how can you look at someone who just won AL Player of the Month who is, I think he's like third or fourth in all of baseball in war, of course, trailing Vladimir Guerrero Jr. at one, but, like, it's just, I I don't know how you can look at this guy and say, 
to his face, sorry, but we got to move you from your position because even though you're doing phenomenally, we're paying this guy $150 million and he gets what he wants. I don't know how you can tell Marcus Simeon that. And honestly, I think George Springer fits better in the number two spot. Like as someone who has power, someone who hits for power, you want someone, at least one person ahead of him so that he can drive him in when he does hit a double, when he does hit a home run. So I would prefer that to having, you know, like we saw George Springer have a two home run game, but he's doing it in the leadoff spot, you know, with the seven, eight, nine hitters coming up before him and there's no one on base. So I think having him in the number two spot, having him capitalize on that power, but also capitalizing on the fact that he is a high on base guy, getting on base, extending the innings for guys like Vladdy, Teoscar Hernandez. So the way I would, the the way I would write it up is Marcus Sumian number one, George Springer two, and then of course Vladdy number three, Teoscar Hernandez four, Bobuchet five, Randall Grishik six, and then Curiel seven. BGO slash Panic slash Espinal 8 and Danny Jansen 9 slash McGuire or Alejandro Kirk. So that's how I would shake it up. I think it's, you know, it's a good problem to have to have, you know, someone like Kevin Biggio hitting 8th or someone like Lourdes Goriel Jr. hitting 7th. Like that's the best case scenario. And one thing that does concern me about that is the fact that you would have Randall Groshek and Bobachet hitting back to back. And I think they're very similar hitters in the way that. You know, they they don't always make contact, <laughs> as you were saying, Bryson. They do swing and miss at a lot of pitches. And, you know, when they do make contact, good things happen. But, you know, we've heard Kevin Barker on Baseball Central talk about it. Randall Grishik is the same plane hitter. He doesn't adapt the, the, hit the pitch of his swing based on who he's facing or what pitches he sees. He just swings it. And if it makes contact, it's going to be loud. It's going to do things on the base pass. But if he doesn't make contact, you're going to see bad swings on on off-speed pitches. So I'm a little concerned that you have two guys like that who potentially could be hitting back-to-back. But honestly, I don't think it's too big of a deal. I think to have someone like Bo Bichette or Randall Grishik hitting sixth, like that's that's just crazy. It makes you really appreciate how great this lineup is. And yeah, that was my question was if you have Springer at two, you know, where does Bacheco? And that makes uh, sense that you're going to drop him to the middle of the order, which I understand. And of course, there is the risk there. And and that's the only part where I agree with you is to leave Simeon at one. It's because you don't want to touch somebody or who's that hot. And that's the risk that you take. I mean, do the Jays still go ahead with it? Perhaps. I mean, none of us really know, but it's just it's going to be a difficult decision for Charlie Montoyo. But it's a good situation to have because based on what Marcus Simeon did in April and what he did in May, I think we all know what you'd rather what you'd rather rather than having to move him down because he's cold. And then in this case, you don't want to touch him because of how hot he is. But it's a tough decision, but it's a good one to have. And the top of the order so far, or at least right now, it's been good. But as you head into the I guess the lower part, the six, seven, eight, nine, I, I you can kind of understand or kind of see the impact that these injuries are having because I mean, Joe panic has been hitting at six a lot. I don't know how you guys feel about that. I was kind of wanted to ask you guys about that. I know he's been hot, but he just doesn't seem to be getting a lot of good feedback on social media about how he's hitting six. So, you know, what do you guys think of that? I, I just thought that was a little interesting and um, over the weekend based on, you know, c- just cause he's been playing good the past week. Lourdes Goriel jr. Should be hitting above Joe panic without a doubt in my mind. I don't care how hot he is. Guriel should be above him because Guriel is also very hot right now. I think that uh, I think the only reason Joe Panic sitting six is to break up the righties from Grichik to Guriel. 
they also strike out a lot. So, and they don't put the ball in play a lot. You know, Gurriel has the lowest uh, walk percentage among qualified hitters in the MLB this year. So that's not that good. So I think, I think, I don't know. I, I personally just think it's just to break up the righties and, you know, have somebody, but although Joe Panic doesn't get on base that much either, but again, he's just a lefty. So I think that's why they do it. And it is true that like what I was saying, Grishik and Bichette being similar hitters, Grishik and Gurriel are similar hitters. I think even more so than Grishik and Bichette because Gurriel is a very long swing. He does strike out a lot. He does miss pitches a lot. So yeah, it's a good reason. It is, and um, yeah, like like I said, when people when when Springer is back, that bottom of the order will get interesting to see how it's kind of restructured because we know how it looks now, and um, you know that's it's a good problem to have. But I'm very curious to see, especially probably a little bit more curious to see. Um, well, if Bichette does move down, that's where I get very curious to see how it's all going to transpire from six, seven, eight, nine. So either way, I do hope they keep Biggio at the bottom of the order too. Maybe Montoyo doesn't do that, and maybe he puts him at six for a little bit. I don't know. I mean, Charlie Montoya has done that a few times this year with Biggio, but a lot of people also would see the difference of how comfortable or more comfortable he does look hitting at the bottom of the order. So that's the one thing I also hope is that they keep Biggio at the bottom of the order and rather not try and put him at six or even five sometimes. I think he's been at the five spot a few times this year, but more likely he's also been at six. But either way, hopefully at the bottom of the order, that's where Biggio is as well. So that's that's all I wanted to mention too. Mm-hmm. It'll definitely be interesting to see what happens. And just a final thing, when do you guys Springer guys think Springer's actually going to be back? Because I'm optimistic with what we've been seeing, but we know he's going to need a rehab assignment before that. If what he was saying, like five more days rehab assignment begins, you know, maybe Wednesday or Thursday of this week, I think it takes him maybe a week in rehab. So that would put it at next weekend. Is that kind of an accurate timeline you guys think for him coming back? Because I have no idea. I, I don't know how to read the tea leaves on this because I he's been out for so long. And we remember, we were talking about him. Oh, he'll be back up for opening weekend against the Yankees. Like, they'll just keep him on the roster and he'll get to... I, I thought he was going to play in the Sunday game of the opening weekend against the Yankees. And we saw how wrong I was. So, I don't know what to say. Um, I'm going to say uh friday june 18th against the orioles it's an away series you know not not much thinking behind that just you know by the time he does a rehab assignment and by the time he you know gets ready and starts running at full capacity yeah i just think that seems like a logical logical timeline for him to come back yeah and um you know i like i mentioned is the gif is he talking about he's back in five days or is he um the rehab assignment start and they also mentioned too that he's making the trip to chicago so you have to imagine that maybe next Friday, maybe he starts. I know the Jays are in Boston. Maybe he can start a rehab assignment there. And if all goes well, I'll, I'll say three days earlier than you, Dave. I'll go uh, June 15th, uh, the ho- their next homestand against the Yankees for three. But either way, it'll be around that time frame like you said. And we, we right now, they, they need his bat. So based on what it looks like for the Jays, they're just in a... They're in, a, they're in a tough division. We know that. They're six games back right now. They're dealing with the Yankees, obviously, on their tail by half a game. They're dealing with Boston. They're de- dealing with Tampa. And we know the series that they had this past weekend against the Astros. We know the 13-1 to game that happened on Friday where Zach Grank, he pretty much went a complete game. He went the distance against the, the offense. Maddox, I know below 100 pitches. Yeah, he, he did. And then, of course, it, uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. did homer in one of those games. So that's also good to see. The good they had a solid one on Saturday and even Sunday yesterday another day where they just looked lost at the plate Luis Garcia pretty much 
uh, torched them. I don't know what happened with the, you know, just Luis Garcia pretty much trailed right through them. So that was also a frustrating performance offensively. So right now they do need him back. And right right at the top of the episode I mentioned, they're in one of the top, the toughest stretches of the schedule. You have Chicago, you have uh, Boston for three, you have the Yankees for three. And then after that, it's going to get a little bit more easier. You have Baltimore twice, and then you also have Seattle at the end of the month. So it's going to start off hard. And then by the end of the, the month, hopefully it starts to lighten up for them. And maybe that's when they can continue to make their push. Yeah, if the Blue Jays can get through the next 10, 15 days with a 500 record, uh, it's going to be incredible because then they have, like, they're just coasting until the All-Star break. And they could, theoretically, if they have a good next two weeks, they could get to the all-star break like 10 or 12 games above 500. It's possible just because of the nature of their schedule. So let's hope it happens. And thank goodness for the Yankees right now. Um, they are not doing well at all. They just got swept by the Red Sox last night in a brutal loss in extra innings. Although part of that is to blame by the umpiring in that game. But I mean, thank goodness for the Yankees making every Blue Jay fan feel better right now. But um, okay, I think we'll end our podcast there. Thank you to everyone who listened to this episode of Section 138. Hopefully next time we'll have all three of us back together, but we definitely appreciate Dave coming on and having a new voice and some new thoughts on here. Um, you can follow us on social media at Section 138 Pod. You can support our podcast on Patreon at patreon.com slash Section 138 Pod. You can get exclusive benefits like joining our Discord, getting access to bloopers, getting to choose the intro and outro music to the podcast. So some exciting things there. And then lastly, you can just rate and review our podcast on Apple Podcasts, which just helps spread the word about what we're doing. All right. Hopefully this next series goes a little bit better. And we'll catch you next time. So far feels like a long, long